Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Brighton Rock podcast. With me, Russell Guyver, with Peter Marsh. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. We have a returning Andy Knott. Uh, hello, Andy. Hello. Fresh from your busy spell, back with us. Good to see you back in the, uh, in the first thing. <laughs> Excellent, good, good. But you're not the only Andy here. We have a debutante making his first appearance in the squad. It's another Andy. It's Andy Bravery. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Uh, uh, hi, Russ. Yeah, I'm fine. Not too bad at all. I've mentioned it off air already, but you're looking resplendent with that wallpaper behind you. Absolutely. Well, I did, yeah, I did that especially for you. I knew you'd <laughs> love it. So you've got, you got the full one tape. They've got a whole wall there. That is more wallpaper than I've seen before, actually, from your uh, Zoom calls. I'm, I'm well impressed. <laughs> Can I just say topic 101, probably not to mention on a podcast, people's amazing wallpaper, because no one else can enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us. Um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the game against Palace. Oh, sorry, the P word. Sorry, I've sworn already. Uh, we'll be chatting about that. We'll be talking about bits of football news from this week, uh, the Premier League weekend in general. Um some other bits and pieces, and we'll probably moan a bit more about PPV and Project Bullshit. I mean, uh, big picture. Um, so all that to come. Um, some other bits and pieces of news to do with the Albion, one of which is the signing of Danny Welbeck. Are we all happy with that one in general? Thumbs up? Yeah? Yeah, Looking I think good? so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Thumbs, thumbs up that the audience can't see. <laughs> yeah, thumbs are plenty, I can report. So, uh, yes, marvellous. You probably good. wouldn't have been first choice in the pre-summer, but... Um... Yeah, mm. considering where we found ourselves, it's a yeah, decent signing. Yeah, yeah I think he's, um, I mean, he's only been signed on a year's contract, which is good. He's got to prove himself because no doubt his package is um, probably in excess of just about everyone else's. Um, that's what a forward can command, especially with Premier League experience, but also, you know, a range of qualities. He's tall. Um, it's not brilliant in the air, but it's not bad in the air. Um, six foot one, I think he is. He's, he's very fast. He's mobile, fluid. Um, and, um, you know, he's not an out-and-out scorer, but he's, um, 
he's he's okay in in front of the net. Um, and I did see that he's got sixteen international goals in forty two caps. Um, yeah, I was going to come to that. It's a very good ratio, isn't it? I, I, I remember noticing at the time when he was scoring some of these goals how he always seemed to have a habit of scoring at that high level. Um, just had a happy knack. So if you could take any of that. Goal rating a lot better at England for England than it is for Man U or, or um, Arsenal, ironically. Yeah. I'm not sure he scored 10 Premier League goals in the season, which obviously Mopé did in his first season last year. So we're probably not going to get yeah, kind of a prolific goal scorer, but we will get hopefully someone who can hold the ball up or offer an alternative either to start to Mopé and Conley or to um, come off the bench if they're one of them, you know, tiring or we need an alternative. So Yeah, look at his stats. It doesn't look like he has scored 10 or more but um, there's always a first time isn't there I suppose uh, well actually he's got uh, no no I'm reading it wrong yeah can't see any any such stats there's 12 hold on a minute 12 goals in oh, well, yeah no that doesn't work yeah no I don't think he has so anyway we'll, we'll see if he manages to do it with us he's at least at very least some good backup we'll maybe talk a bit more about him later on um, but first of all what to do uh, get to know a little bit more about Mr. Andy Bravery. How uh, how did you first get into it, Andy, the Albion? So, first game I went to, I was taken um, by one of my dad's friends. I was only about seven at the time. So, it was a game in um, October 1974. We were playing Preston North End at home. And... Um, I don't. I don't remember too much about the game. In fact, I was sitting in the back of the West End. I think I looked out the window more than I looked at the game, and um, and we lost the game four nil. I know that from looking back at the results. Um, but at the end of the game, everybody was standing up, clapping and cheering and such like. And you kind of wondered, you know, I kind of wondered a little bit back then, you know, why why were they doing that? And then I've realised over time why they were doing that. I don't know if you guys know what was what happened that day. No, it doesn't ring a bell. Uh, so, 74, player manager for Preston North End, he did one year as player manager, was Bobby Charlton. And I think ah. it was almost like a kind of a end of career tour. And anyway, they're all they're all um, clapping him. And I think that's probably why I was there, because the guy I went with probably went to, um, you know, probably wanted to see him in his, um, in, you know, in his last season. So then I, um, then I don't go again until the um, tail end of 75, 76. And from then on, I'm, I'm hooked and I'm up and running, basically. I go with my dad. We're out in the um, East Terrace with some of his mates. I'm standing on my stool. Still got that stool. Still got it at home now. In fact, actually, there's a really nice... So me and my dad, um, you know you know when they did the, um, the Dick Knight montage with... In, sorry, in the Dick Knight bar, the, the montage with um, uh, Peter Ward. Well, I think he's walking away from the Amex. Oh, the, yeah, the photographs. Yeah. So we reenacted the photographs. So there's me standing as, you know, as, obviously as an adult on the stool with my, with my Brighton scarf and my dad by the side of you, by the side of me. So there's a, there's a picture of us in there doing that. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I got lucky really. I mean, it was 76 through, through to 83, always on the up. I was at Newcastle, still my greatest game ever. Newcastle, the day that we, um, we got promoted to the top league. I remember um, walking around Newcastle before the game, going through Dad's friends, going through all the different possible conundrums that, that could happen for us to still go up. And then, of course, we go 3-0 up and nobody bothers after that because we're going up. Uh, and that was a great day. Um, 
I was there. I was there on cup final day. I also a little bit of um, yeah. I mean, I, I think as well, you know, like in, in the other games when we we got the um, thirty three thousand crowds, I was in for those. I still I still think that um, we played Derby County in the League Cup, and that was probably we never got anywhere near where we normally would stand. And I still think that was probably well over 33,000 in there that night. That's the only time I ever sensed that my dad was a bit worried about the crowd behind us and pushing me off my stool. So, um, yeah, so 83, we get relegated, we get to the cup final. I'm a little bit kind of right, you know, right, right man in the right place. At that point, I was playing for Southwick under 16s. We were being managed by a guy called... Um, Gary Brown, um, I was at school with his um, older son. His younger son, Steve Brown, was the one who um, then had a professional career at Charlton. I think he was on um, Brighton's coaching um, at that same time as Oakway, I think, for a while. And um, they were, just shows you the, how shambolic I think it was back then in terms of the youth um, section. They needed a couple of, of, of um, players that would this was going on from about February, that would just turn up and play for the Albion youth team, um, you know, that were OK. Um, and then if they didn't want us for one week, they'd trial us in, they would do that. Um, so I actually got to play a small number of games, maybe eight, eight, ten games for for the Albion, which was quite fun. Um, I mean, back then, the only... There was a guy called uh, Martin Lambert who was making waves and he was in the England under 18s, I think, but he never quite made it. There was another guy, Kevin Palmer, who went on to play for Birmingham and um, was known as the Rooster because I think he had a bald head. And the other one who um, ended up having a professional career was the year below us, who had actually grown up with, Steve Palmer. He ended up playing a lot of games for Ipswich and Watford. And then um, and I think he finished up at QPR. So the thing was then I had, um, I think, as you've said before, I had a, quite a break then because I... I played Saturdays, really. I went to the odd game when I could, but um, I played Saturdays. I was playing at, um, at Ringmer in the reserves and sometimes in the first team. Then I was off to university, then travelling. Then I got into a relationship. And then we get to eight, fast forward to 96, 97, really. And, um, you know, um, <laughs> the relationship wasn't quite going um, the way that maybe um, it should have done. And at the same time, Brighton were in need of, of fans. I think it was that was the season where uh, the fans united and that, and basically, um, yeah, ditched the relationship and um, took up following the Albion again. Never really looked back since then. Been um, that season was just um, well, you know, I mean, fans united was a great day. Mm. Um, the the Leighton Orient game at home, I just found emotionally draining. I just remember. We'd been to, I think that was the season we'd been up to watch Brighton play up at um, Carlisle and we stopped off at Mellor on the way back to protest. Met this oh, yeah. guy in the pub. And <laughs> next day, next time I see him, he's, he's running on the pitch towards um, poor old Ray Wilkins. And then you get this farcical situation where Wilkins has got his leg in the air and this guy's <laughs> grabbed hold of it and they're like doing this dance, you know. <laughs> at the end of the game, you've got Barry Hearn trying to like get us kicked out of the league because... He was probably worried that his team might get relegated. So there was all the comings and goings and then down to um, Hereford on the final day, which I still think, considering the result went our way, 
I still think it's the worst game of football I've ever been to in terms of just sheer panic and fear. I remember at half-time, someone, um, a friend of mine, Jane, I was with, she um, she got me a cup of tea at half-time, just sitting on the floor, we're one nil down. I just think, well, we're not going to, we're not going to score. We're, we're going down. We're not going to score. And um, yeah, and obviously we we all know what happened. Although I have to confess that it was only probably about a year ago that I discovered that actually we hit the post first, and then Ryan out put it in on the rebound. I didn't even know that. You couldn't, you just couldn't see it on the day because there was the everyone was up on the fence. There was this flat bit, and then there was a bit of terracing. I couldn't really see what was going on, but um, yeah, we got through that, and then I just. Um, I said from then on, I was kind of following them home and away. I think I've been to, I think I've been to all but about four or five of the grounds in the football league, and I've been to probably half of the nation, the national league, and I've never mm. seen a game in the national division. Yeah, which so, is yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. So um, and um, I'm pretty much from Gillingham onwards had a season ticket again. Mm. Um. I mean, the two years at Gillingham were really quite worrying because I couldn't, I thought if we couldn't get back to, to Brighton, that was going to be it for us because 2,000 fans going all that way wasn't sustainable with a team that was was really poor, that's the truth be told, certainly the first year. Yeah. And um, yeah, and that's been it ever since, really, you know, following mm. them. Excellent. So you went back to your ex, effectively. Uh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> at, a, at a low point as well. I suppose, yeah. But well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, so you're from Southwick originally, was it? No, no, I'm actually. Um, so I was born in Brighton, and um, I grew up in Patcham. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah we had conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was Carden Avenue around that way. So I um I started off in in Haywards Road. So that was just in the old Snipe Pub, around the back of there. Yeah, and then um, and then I was in um, yeah Graham Avenue. Didn't move much. So I was a Patcham Fawcett boy. Yeah, and then uh, Vanding Sixth Form. Excellent. Well, yeah. we we should explain to anyone that doesn't know that um, Andy is not in Sussex at all anymore. He's been in London for quite a while. We've known you, Andy, Peter, and I uh, from Seagulls over London for a good few years. We've been meaning to get you on the show actually for quite a while, and probably the timing is perfect to bring you on at such a time when we've just had, or just having, in this case, just had a game with Crystal Palace. Um, tell us where you live at the moment, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so I live smack bang in the middle of East Croydon. Um, so I'm definitely one of those uh, seagulls behind enemy lines. In fact, actually, yeah. I, um, I once wrote to the Croydon Advertiser, and that was the, um, the title I gave them. And um, I, you know, I requested that they withheld my address. I was um, making comment about one of their guys who was writing in the paper that I didn't agree with everything he'd said. So yeah, so I've I've lived amongst the um, the Nigels for you know for quite a long time now, probably over twenty years. I worked it for Croydon before that, so um, yeah, yeah. So they're not they're not a happy bunch at the moment on the whole. That would be my um, that would be my straw poll from uh, the butcher, the baker, and uh, and the bloke down the pub. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. Yeah. They're not very happy. They're not very happy. I think they. Um, I think they've tolerated Roy long enough. I think they're kind of where we were at, probably in that last half season with Chris Hutton. Sort of <sighs> not sure whether it's you know, but I think it's coming in terms of the season. It's coming a bit early for them, you know. But I would have been disappointed if I'd been them on um, Sunday. You know, to go one nil up, dodgy penalty. 
Yeah. Really stick 11 players behind the ball. And all Roy's done since then is just blame it all on Zaha. Oh, that's yeah. great, isn't it? It feels we're all smiling, full of cheer, even though we didn't get a win against them. Of course, it was a one-all draw on yeah. Sunday. Um, certainly, I think that brings us neatly off to the subject. I mean, just to quickly quote the stats from the BBC, 34% possession Palace, that's actually disappointing. That's the highest they've had this season. Um, it's annoying. One shot on, uh, on target, uh, which was also their only shot of the game. This is a Premier League record, I understand. It's never been the case that the only shot someone's had on goal has been a penalty um, in since the entire... Not other than since Premier League. I think it was yeah. since they started their stats in 2003. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Quite a long time. So, yeah, still pretty ridiculous. And the only shot they had on target, they certainly didn't deserve. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, two corners to our five, 13 fouls each. Um, looking at the sofa score at, um, stats as well, just quickly, doesn't make for any better reading, really, as far as, uh, as, far as they go. Um in fact, I've just lost that for the moment. We'll probably come back to that in a minute. But ultimately, um, a game where I thought um, they're, they're obviously a very well-organised side. They sit in um, shape-wise and rigidity. Uh, just they're, they're, they're very well set up. And that's all you can say for them at the moment, as far as I'm concerned. I think, aside from that thing I've just mentioned, they looked a really poor team, lacking in any creativity at all. And Wilfred Zaha, who ironically... Um, Despite being uh, with with a team that he's had the most joy against in terms of scoring goals, um, more often than what, we we actually keep him pretty quiet during the game. That's the irony of it. Um, But I want to bring Andy Kay back into it at this point. What was your take on the game Um, overall? Just an overview first. (laughs) Well, um, I've had a go at you and Peter before for um, just having a go at referees. Um, and I did listen to episode 72 and 73 um, before this, and there Peter was having a go at referees. So I may as well join in, might not, might not because this was the perfect example. Um, I can't stand Stuart Atwell. I really can't. Um, that penalty decision was a joke. Um now, if you were going to give that, then you should have given that um, Coyote on Dan Byrne beforehand. But that's just such not a penalty. And how VAR didn't overturn that, um, I'm absolutely furious about it. Um, because precisely as you say, Palace are well organised. They sit back. Uh, uh, um, you know, Cahill is, is a fantastic defender. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the game almost became a kind of caricature of the two teams um, play um, and you know it, that decision was made after what was it 18 minutes or something along those lines um, it was their only attack um, of the game I don't know if you're gonna if you actually mentioned the number of touches that they had in the box I think it was about four or something like that yeah. I think we had 39 um, so yeah, I'm, um, and it wasn't just that decision for the penalty um, for Matt. Well, uh, I I don't quite understand why he didn't send Tarek Mitchell off. He looks like quite a good player, but mm. um, he certainly should have got a second yellow card. Um, mm. That's not something that can go to VAR, um, unfortunately. Um, but there were lots and lots of kind of 50-50 decisions that he was just given to Palace. Um, yeah. And 
yeah, um, you know, you've got to be a little bit frustrated about um, Brighton because um, the story of our season went on there. Lots and lots of pretty play. Um, and uh, we didn't really carve out too many decent shots on goal when we had the opportunities to shoot. Um, we didn't. Um, oh, yes. And that's the other thing that really wound me up about that game. I was watching it on Sky and those two commentators can't stand them. Jeff Shreves, isn't it? And Alan Smith. Yeah. Can't, can't abide them. And, and whoever that guy was with Sunas at half time. Oh, did, so Darren Powell, I think, isn't it? The, um, Darren Moore. I uh, Moore, sorry. Um, the uh, yeah. Donny, Donny manager. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's doing a good job at Donny, but... As a pundit, yeah. Whereas the analysis on match the day of the game, I thought was um, absolutely spot on. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we need to get our shots off earlier. I mean, the biggest culprit there was was Mope, um with that um, brilliant effort where, uh, well, opportun- brilliant opportunity where Lalana threaded him through um, uh, and he took too many touches. I mean, there were one or two other occasions during that game that um uh yeah it was frustrating but um McAllister comes on and um he did shoot first time and guess what happened yeah Yeah. Um, we were talking about this in post-match zoom chat on seagulls over london weren't we guys uh, about getting the shots off early and McAllister was the only one that did and we scored Uh, no coincidence i do think morpay's got the the issue with um, wanting to take too many touches sometimes. I think it's a championship trait that could probably still be weaned out, but um, at the moment, he more often than not does tend to do that, doesn't he? Which is a, a little bit of a frustration. Going, quickly going back to um, what you were saying about the refs, I completely agree with everything you just said, Andy. I can't stand that well. Um, I can't stand um, the commentators. Kevin, 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 Kevin Brent. Yeah, at least we have him in VAR to save us, eh? <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, and just going back to the, uh, the, the accuracy and um, the passing, Palace had 280 passes. We had 544, according to Sofa Score. It also said that they had 69% accuracy. We had 83% accuracy. Um, crosses, 17%. Success to our 47. Dribbles, 60% to our 71. Considering they've got Zaha in their team, that's not great, is it? Um, possession lost 134 times to 149 than you would expect that because we had far more possession anyway to lose um, and yeah, I mean all, all of the other stats just go along the same lines so yeah I mean very disappointing I'd agree it's very disappointing that we couldn't get a result against them um, it doesn't help when their only uh, goal is scored from a complete gift uh, just presented out of nowhere um, but nonetheless um, we could have done more, couldn't we? We could have taken the game, uh, guys. So oh, coming back to Peter and the other Andy, what, what's your um, what's your views on that? And anything anything to add? Much the same as to what yeah, I think everyone else has said so far. I think I think the referee was yeah. I mean, my views on referees are quite well known quite often, but um, <laughs> yeah, well, it's probably up there if not the worst. I think it wasn't it him who let go, who allowed a goal when they had gone through the side netting or something, wasn't that? I was Apple? just going to say that Reading Watford, um, yeah. And he's yeah. not got any better. How on earth that guy referees in the Premier League? I genuinely don't know. He was, and how then, yeah, VAR overturns Connolly's reg, uh, penalty against United, but doesn't overturn that one? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's such an obvious error. I mean, I've gone on record as saying that I thought I was less convinced that that was a penalty that Connolly won the most Albion fans. But even given that, 
I had two issues with it. One is that it was, was it clear and obvious enough to overturn having been given? And especially when there's pressure put on the ref to go and look at the monitor uh, with a, should we say, a loaded subjective kind of uh, implants of thoughts going to him. And the second thing is what we've just said, what you just said as a point there, Peter, if that's a penalty, uh, not a penalty, sorry, why is uh, batch wise um, when Tariq yeah. Lamptey effectively has just touched him, there's contact, but Peter Walton in the Man United game against Brighton said contact is allowable. It's not necessarily an infringement. So, yeah, contact was there, but it was very minimal. And there's no way a guy like Lamptey is pulling a guy like Batshuayi over in any form, no matter how much power is being used, mm. unless he's really yanking into him to pull him down. Um, it just looked farcical and embarrassing, really, to give it. And, yeah, I, and I, I that will. Yeah, what can you see from there? Yeah, well, the, turning up slightly from the negatives, which I agree with about the fact that we have so much possession, so many chances to actually create something and then didn't do it. And I thought Malpey had played his worst game for a while on Saturday, on Sunday, sorry, because he, um, and that's where we lacked a bit of a focal point at times because he kept giving the ball away, ignoring the fact he missed a couple of chances. His first touch was quite heavy on a number of occasions as well, which doesn't help when your focal point is struggling a bit. Um, you know, and it's a one-off, hopefully. He had, he had a good season so far. I thought defensively, we've got a lot more solid. Yes, there was a disallowed goal that arguably Ryan should have saved and the penalty, but that was it. Palace offered nothing else. There was no, you know, their legendary counter-attacking football didn't even ever look like getting anywhere. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I personally would have been embarrassed if I was a Palace fan by that. Not just, like, I'm disappointed, I'd been embarrassed. They just just sat yeah. back. And it's, you say, you say they've got defensive organisation, but I reckon I could organise a defence if they could sit 10 men behind the ball every all game. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's that difficult to do. If, you, if you're trying to defend... When you're you know, attacking quite a lot, that's one thing. But when you're like literally not doing anything, you're sitting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I I, I think um, I think Andy's description of um, the last six months under Heaton may may well be a kind of apt one, really. Um, yeah, it reminds me of that game at Tottenham, wasn't it, where we barely got out of our half? And well, I, I quite enjoyed that game actually. Um, <laughs> no small part because it was the um, uh, one of the earliest games at the the new White Hart Lane, but um, uh, I mean, it, it showed off what was brilliant about a Hewton team, really, and Duncan Duffy and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, um, yeah. Hmm. yeah. I think, I think what, it did, what it did show me, though, because I, I, I thought Solly March played pretty well, particularly first half, but actually I do, bearing in mind, they, they seem to sort of put... Um, two players on on Lamptey to um, to try and nullify us, and I wondered what would have happened if we'd had someone of a of a similar pace on the other side, because I think then we might have stretched them more. So it will be interesting at some point if we do get a left back who can actually who's got the speed, whether that well, might give one, us um, might give us you know might give us a, a bit of another dimension. Really, I think the other thing for me was that um, it's finally helped me resolve the in myself that actually. Um, I, I think I'd rather us carry on playing like that all season. And if we make mistakes and we end up going down, I can live with that as opposed to being too pragmatic, playing like Palace and staying up by a couple of points because I don't want to watch that football anymore. Yeah, it kind of had terms with that. It's real anti-football. Isn't it? and, and you're saying about um, Palace not being happy and looking on social media and having listened to the podcast. Um, well, that was pre-match, the podcast. Um, they're not happy with Hodgson, you're right. And um, they were quite resigned to the fact that that was a poor performance, which tells you something, doesn't it? They're getting used to that. 
Um, in, a, in a game that's a derby match, albeit without fans, um, you know they, they've got to be up for more than just sitting in and defending against a side who they have to be perceiving to be a divisional rival in terms of positions. Um, you can't afford to sit back and hope to get a draw against uh, or a lucky win against at no. home. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, one of the guys. I mean, they one were, of the guys, you say them sitting back to get a draw. Um, they weren't. They were sitting back to protect a lead, which had been gifted to them. Yeah. And oh, yeah. But they were what, sitting back. What so it irritated me is yeah. is um, it really played to their strengths. Um, they ruined the game as well on that basis yeah. by doing so. Yeah. No, I agree with you. But I think they were even before that. They were already playing in a very cautious manner. Um, in those first eighteen minutes, we were entirely on top of the game. Yeah, they were they were sitting back, and I don't think it was just a pegging them back. I think they were yeah. they were in quite a placid mood from the off. Yeah. You know, they, they play a like counter-attacking football, which is why they've got such a good away record generally. But mm. I think they tend to try, struggle to break teams down at home. But they didn't even do that on Saturday, on Sunday. There was no attempt to counterattack really. It was just back I think that, yeah. I mean, I think that was the thing for me, Peter. That I don't even think they really tried. Yeah. I mean, one well, of the I, one of the guys I know, he said to me that. Um, Actually, he was pleased with score because he thought it struck a blow for anti-football. So, you know. Um, I can certainly mention one one player of theirs that didn't seem to try, um, who seemed to, well, did manage to score a goal from the penalty spot, um, did manage to get through an awful lot of moaning. But <laughs> As usual. apart from that, that was, that was his only contributions. I mean, when, when you think about it, it was a shame, really, that the crowd weren't there because, actually, it had all the ingredients for quite a, quite a robust game, didn't it? You know, when you think about it, dodgy penalty, he goes and scores it, he moans all game, we get a last-minute equaliser, and then the other panto, you know, villain, don't get sent off. I mean, it had it all, really. He just didn't have the 25,000 there shouting abuse at each other. Well, well, we, we haven't mentioned that uh, it was a shocking... Um, tackle in a weekend of shocking tackles. Oh yeah, dreadful. I, I don't even know if it was a tackle. At the time, I thought I thought what he was trying to do was spread himself to try and get a, a deflection back into the goal. Yeah. And yeah. The more I looked at it, the more ridiculous it seemed. I, was like, I don't know in the end what he was trying to do, but it was awful. I'm not sure he does either. It was uh, yeah. The only, the only yeah. logic is that if Pickford can get away with it, Dunk should too. I wonder actually if Palace were at home in front of 25,000 fans or whatever 22,000 of their fans and 2,500 of ours would their fans have let them get away with that would they have actually had to push forward a bit more because then they've got so much abuse from their home for the home fans even when leading 1-0 or would their fans while they were 1-0 ahead have supported them and got behind them yeah, yeah I mean I I asked that of a few of them today, and they were all saying that basically, though, they would have been they would have been on the backs of the players to push forward, even at one nil. Well, yeah, I think yeah, basically because you know they wanted to like they want the players to express themselves a bit more. I mean, they you know one of the guys said to me that he wanted Eze to play. He knew he wasn't going to pick him, you know. So you buy him, you don't use him. I mean, Batshuayi, you know, I thought it was a good finish myself. He looks like a man who's who's a bit confident. And he's not being given, you know, he wasn't given any service. I just, they're just workmanlike, aren't they? They're just the offside I did think Ryan shouldn't have let that in from that angle, having got a hand on it. But uh, yeah, no. but he collapsed onto the ground as well, Ryan did. He, he shouldn't have gone down like he did. Yeah. That. Um, yeah, I've getting a little bit of a downer on Ryan this season, actually. But uh, mm. 
turning it round to a bit more Albion positives, I thought Lalana had his by far his most influential game of all of the well, not that he's played a lot so far, and showed the signs of what he could do to break teams down if we kind of teams yeah. like, like probably the next couple of home games against West Brom and Burnley, where teams are like difficult to, to break down at times, they sit deep, and where Lalana can make the difference in tight areas. I mean, he should have had an assist for Malpe's chance. He almost got a bit of space in the area when he beat about two or three players on the edge as well, mm. um, and not tried to set someone free, especially with someone like Welbeck ahead of him as well. If he can, if he can keep him fit, I think Lalana could make a big difference. And yeah, Sunday was the first time really that yeah. you could see what a difference he could make. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, think so. Yeah. Go on. Well, you go. well, I was going to say, um, I, I, I think some people have seemed to be fairly critical of him, thinking that he hasn't really done as much as he could have done, uh, even in that game. But I, I thought he was man of the match for us. Um, pulling a few strings. I think for that yeah. game. He's really, I think he's really good. Yeah, he's really good for that game. Yeah, I'm surprised to have heard a couple of negative uh, reports here and there but uh, from fans. But he, I think for me, he pulled the strings. And he showed some degree of creativity that we've been lacking as a side. And he created those openings. I think the problem we've had before is maybe a lack of creation of decent opportunities. Um, he's going to be a key for us doing so. Yeah, the problem Saturday wasn't or Sunday wasn't Lalana. It was the fact that both Trossard and Malpe had relatively yeah, poor okay. games compared yeah. to their form this season so far. Hmm. Trossard maybe after two internationals, he played a couple of games for Belgium, didn't he? And uh, yeah. I mean, and strikers have bad games. So I mean, hopefully another game, another day when they kind of those two are on form and Lalana's on that sort of form, they get a couple of goals between them. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Trossard was just very, very quiet, wasn't he? Yeah. On the few occasions that he got on the ball, he looked quite menacing as far as I was concerned. But uh, I mean, yeah. and uh, uh, in defence of Mope, um, and I, I doubt if um, you two will agree with the first point, um, but we'll see. I'll say it. But a, a couple of points. Um, the first one being, um, I actually thought he was right to try and take that shot um, when Solly uh, went through, because Solly had kind of hit it ahead of himself uh, and I just thought that um, Mopé was in a better position to take that shot but in the end they both got in each other's way and, and nothing happened out of it but also Mopé did have um, a, a good effort with just about the last kick of the game actually um, which was going in um, but it was um, blocked um, and by going in I think it would have got not only hit the target, but um, um, Gaita wouldn't have got to it. Hmm. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. I think, yeah, I wasn't, I'm not particularly, I think here March just happened against each other's way there. I'm not particularly critical of him. It's, it's the one where he, he went through that I think he, yeah. I, mean, I don't understand why you go inside into more players on your wrong foot yeah. when you can carry on onto your, onto your actual you know, main foot yeah. and be away from players. It just seems an odd decision to make. Yeah, completely agree. <laughs> I mean, I wonder whether that, that might be one of the things that Welbeck might, might bring is, you know, he's quite an intelligent player, makes intelligent runs. And I would agree that, I mean, I probably saw him mostly when he played for England and he looked really good for England, just didn't always get the goals he deserved. So I, I kind of wonder whether he might actually bring something out in more pay. And, and, and you know, with Lalana, those two players who have played at the highest level, um, whether, you know, you, you we might see we might see moves and, space being created that we haven't seen up to now. I think when um, more Pay and Connolly played together, it's a bit more predictable. It's quite quick, but it's a bit more predictable. I think the other thing, the interesting point for me was that 
we did look more solid and I wondered whether some of that was about was about Ben White being in the midfield and not necessarily that we'll use him in every game um, but certainly he he didn't look out of place there that and that's quite a you know that's quite a position to play at that age yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree I thought he, he um, kept, um, performed very well in that role actually uh, showed off his range of passing as well which he hasn't really done um, when playing as a centre back actually. he took a shot yeah, he played there a couple of times for Leeds, so I know, and I think a couple of times for Albion in the uh, youth ranks. So I, I know he can play there, but I was interested and pleased to see him play there uh, for what he did provide. I it think he had a good, could be his best game for us, actually. Sorry, Peter, go on. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, also, it's good to mix, see Potter mix it up because he was a, a bit it, it, sticking with the same tactics, the same system a lot of the time to start with this season. He'd a bit, not predictable, but only four games, but he'd done. He moved to had a ticking with the same thing, whereas in the first season, obviously, he was like changing everything every game almost. So it'd be good yeah. if he could get a balance between the two. So do change it sometimes, do do different mm. things, but then also have a core like 13, 14 or something like that who are yeah. your core kind of team I mean, rather I, than changing quite so yeah. much as he did last season. I mean, I, I would say he has been predictable, but only really by Potter's standard, which is like <laughs> virtually unpredictable, you know. I mean, he. You know, it's like the closest we ever got to kind of having a sense of what the team might be. And then on Saturday, Sunday, he just completely changes yeah. it around again. I don't know whether, you know, it also helped him bring in Burn in because we, we've been pretty poor at defending set pieces. Yeah. We wanted, you know, it's an opportunity to get another tall player in there. Oh, I'm yeah, sure. I'm interested yeah, to see yeah. what he does against West Brom, really, how yeah. he wants to play. I mean, we, I mean we're at the Seagulls Over London meet, we were talking about. You know, Webster, I do I do think at times Webster is a bit flat-footed. He does look like he gets caught out of it. But I have to say, this season, and I particularly thought against Palace, on the ball itself, he does look more and more confident, like he belongs, you know, he belongs in that team. But um, every now and then there's a, you know, there's a, just a moment he gets caught out. Yeah, caught ball-watching is a typical... Yeah. Um, well, as we're on, I mean, I, I was going to raise Webster because I have an even more positive view of Webster... Uh, mm. I thought he was probably about our best player actually um, in that game. Uh, apparently, he carried the ball the equivalent of seven pitches. Um, yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and his range of passing is really good. He's quick. He he won loads of balls in the air. Um, uh, I I haven't seen many mistakes this season. I, I think he's been our best centre back this season um, quite considerably. Um, and um, I think Dunk's been our worst, and I'm, I'm not so sure we're necessarily going to miss him. I was going to say exactly the same. Ha- has maybe Dunk dropped out of the team at the worst point? Because we've got a Dutch international sitting on the bench. Burns done, never done, never done anything particularly wrong for us, especially at centre half or a, or a left back. And mm. you know, White and Webster have both done done okay. Webster, as you say, mm. I think probably been our best in half this season. And Solly's doing okay, so there's no need for Burns to drop back to the left yeah, side. Well. Will Dunk immediately get back in? You know, it's an interesting one, isn't it? If they, those three, three of those four play well together over the next three games, and Will Dunk immediately come back in? I would say yes, he will. But um, yeah, still uh, an interesting notion, isn't it? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think he's been been playing badly, and you know, he's um, shown an awful lot of qualities. But uh, one of his problems is that, well, in fact. Long term, he's had two problems. One is his red miss, which came back, and his kind of uh, um, uh, his controlled since he's been in the Premier League. Um, 
that it was very much in evidence during the championship. Um, and the other one is his, his lack of pace. Um, and, you know, uh, that will become more pronounced, I think. I mean, he can get away with it with his positional um, sense, but... Um, uh, you also probably get away with it a bit more with three at the back, so I would say... Yeah, but uh, I with that, I don't quite understand why he tends to play as the d- deepest of the three. Um, I don't. I mean, I suppose as we've sort of said before, I the one thing I, it's hard to know is how involved at the back he is in the organisational side, and yeah. that then they might look all out of seat, you know, out of sorts without him. I guess we'll find out. I mean, I, who who do you think if he's if if Potter plays three at the back again in these next three games, which he probably will do, who would you put in the middle? Uh, who would be your three? I'd, I'd probably put White in the middle and Veltman on the right and um, Webster on, on the left. Um, you think they've got um, enough height between the three of them, especially for Bur- Burnley and West Brom, who are a bit bigger? Maybe not so much Tottenham, where they're... they're, you know, they're um, well, well, West Brom aren't up front, are they? Um, and but, Burnley, um, then, for... I, I I don't um, rate Burn as high, highly as many people do, and part of that is because he's not very good in the air, despite his height. Um, uh, I think also but, will, 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 sure. will Dunk be back for the Burnley game? No, I don't think he. Was Burnley the team? Yes, isn't it? Was Burnley the team last season where we end up playing the four centre halves in the game? I think so. Might yeah. be. Yeah. So he might he might reproduce that again. Byrne does lack technical technical ability as well, doesn't he? I think there's there's elements of that. Um, he's not so, an obvious Potter player, really. Ironically, given mm. he played him a lot more than anyone else would have done that album, probably. But he's not an obvious Potter player. He, you know, he doesn't. He's, yeah, he's, he's versatile. Hmm? He's versatile, isn't he? Yeah, but his, his yeah. passing's not as good as most of them in that in that team, and he's. Yeah. Mm. I, don't, I mean, well, I think he's, he's sort of he's, he's the technical side in terms of quick feet and that. I think he's pretty good for a tall centre half. I, I just and that was a bit like Duffy, really. I mean, I don't think Duffy was a a poor football player. The, the problem that Duffy had was there were just so many players that were just so much better than him. But I mean, you know, White seems to have it all, doesn't he? I mean, he's got the technical side, but he's also got quite a turn of speed as well. Yeah, he's he's, he's really quick. Yeah. Webster is as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's looking good, isn't it? And a future England um, star, I reckon. Dunk uh, looks like maybe not. Maybe for the reasons Andy Kay has uh, listed a few minutes ago. And um, we do have a penchant for um, ex-England players, of course. Now, having signed Danny Welbeck and Adam Lallana, previously Wayne Bridge on loan. Did Matthew Upson play on loan? Uh, who played on loan for us? Did he play? Yeah, he played for England a few times. I think. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, well, he was. Upson was brilliant. Yeah, it, was, right, it was kind of like the Cahill signing Palace had made, isn't it? A little mm. bit, in one sense. But he was on um, co-coms or summarising, as Johnny Cantor prefers to call it, um, for the uh, Five Live for the game. I recorded it just to listen back to the key moments and see what um, they said at the time. I thought it'd be interesting. Hobson's view on the Palace penalty, I find it hard to believe. Just shifting the decision, which presumably referred to the VAR call, allowable contact, which is what I was talking about earlier, um, he hasn't pulled him. There's no force. That was his comments on that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, and, and the pundits, as you said, on Match of the Day, uh, social media, 
people in, in general neutral observations were that that shouldn't have been a pen. I think in terms of the general play, we've pretty much discussed matters there. But I think we ultimately were dominating the game, weren't we? It was just a case of getting uh, getting the ball in the net. Um, I think we've also talked about Mitchell. Um, we he virtually kicked the ball out of Lamptey's hands, didn't he, in that incident on the touchline? I think because he was trying to pick it up to take the throw quickly. Well, he um, locked horns as well, which... and locked horns. So yeah. on both on both of those accounts, he could have got his second yellow. Um, I think it was only a few minutes after. Was it three minutes after the first booking? Something like yeah, that. I feel yeah. like it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was an atrocious decision in itself, and it's not the first time this season. Man United, two players could have got sent off there, Fernandes and Matic, potentially in that match. So we've been... that, that certain teams, to be Palace wasted so much time second half, and it wasn't just taking time over goal kick, but blocking us from taking free kicks and throw yeah. on, you know, kind of constantly every couple of seconds. And it was like, well, if, you don't, if you're going to do something about it, book them, don't just watch it. And, and I've, I've mentioned it before, I'm going to mention it again, Peter, Moyet Villa. How is it worse than yeah. what, what he did there? And he the got answer the... is that was right in front of the dugout and they dug yeah. out, came, ran out and screamed and <laughs> shouted the referee until yeah. the referee booked him. Whereas, yeah, I mean, that's that so well. inconsistent. And that is something yeah. that can be consistent. It's not like, you know, just say if you kick it away, full stop, it's a booking, fair enough. Or just say if you kick it away a certain distance, it's a booking. But yeah. it be consistent. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's got to be also just as bad as, for example, deliberately taking a tactically timed drink, uh, shall we say, as well. Um, if anyone doesn't know, Matt Ryan got booked for doing so as the penalty was about to be taken. Um, but I've seen loads of people do stuff like that. And until they take it to an extreme, they don't get booked. I actually didn't notice at the time. Um, I think I was probably just punching the sofa or something because they'd given the penalty. But um seemed pretty harsh to me. Small matter in the grander scheme of things. Do we ever worry about Ryan? I know, Andy Kay, you've mentioned a general downer about Ryan at the moment this season. But in general, do we have an issue with Ryan with penalties? He's saved some in the past, but he never uh, looks to me like he's going to save one. I, I, I do. Um, well, here, here we, if you were to name the first two or perhaps even three players on the team sheet before lockdown, it would be Ryan Dunk. And probably proper. Now, mm. all all of them have kind of um, well, uh, they're no longer the first names on the team sheet. Team sheet, um, I would say at the moment. And yeah, I have a huge problem with Ryan on pe- penalties. You're looking at numbers there, Russell. But to the best of my knowledge, the only one that he's saved in the Premier League was against Stoke. Um, he's got Everton as well in the first season when we were already two 0 down. Um, sorry, which one? Since the first season. Everton away, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um, he has an uncanny ability to go the wrong way. Yes, um, he does. <laughs> it's almost impressive, in fact, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. yeah I know that's only one aspect of goalkeeping, but it is an infuriating one. Oh, I a goalkeeper on penalties, though. I mean, it's... Yeah, yeah, perhaps. The odds are stacked against them. Actually, while, while we're on that, um, I didn't see all of it. I only saw the from about 55 minutes, but um, I was watching the under-23 game against Liverpool that we won, um, where there's uh, the new cult hero, Kadra, scored. Um, but the two standout players to me, they're, I mean, everyone looked really good. Um, you know, we beat Liverpool 1-0. Um, 
but the two standout players are almost the op- uh, um, the ones that you would imagine they would be. Um, um, Sanders um, looked really good. I, I, I'm a little bit concerned about Sanders and Malumbi about them becoming dispirited by the lack of game time because they they look ready to be playing all the time as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I don't think they're going to get much game time out of us. Um, but Sanchez looks amazing. Um, and um, I think Ryan's distribution is quite good. Um, I've mentioned this before. He can't get the ball long, and that limits the options. Uh, whereas Sanchez can kick the ball long, um, and he looks so good on the ball. And he he did a, this amazing one-handed grab out the air. He commands his area, and that, that may well be the other thing um, about Ryan. Um, if you actually have a look at the number of shots he's faced this season, he's actually conceded quite a few goals. Um, but there aren't and, many that you, anything I'd, I'd say that was particularly a definitive error of his. I mean, that's a, I think that what people do say about him is the fact he doesn't make many saves or whatever. But I actually don't. I, I don't think that's true. Yeah, yeah, I don't agree with that. I think I think he's coming for a lot of quite hard criticism recently, personally. Um, but I mean, he, we haven't faced that many shots compared to goals. I mean, it's hard to argue that this season. I mean, some people sort of accuse him of being a bit susceptible from the long shot, don't they? You know, 25, 30 yarders. I mean, well, I, I don't see much wrong with him, really, myself. But uh, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't accuse that of him. And I'm, I, immediately when you said that, Andy, I was thinking of that save against yeah. Southampton um, after lockdown last season, which to me was about the best save of the season. Yeah. I wonder if there's then a possible narrative for Sanchez to get into the first team reckoning, because with Walton injured for the time being, could he get himself ahead of Steele? And if he does, then obviously that, that would get him some potential cup games at least. And in certain circumstances, of course, he could get um, stepped up to the first team if Ryan's not available. How does he do that though? I mean, Yes, he can play under 23 games, but no, there aren't any cup games to try him out in. Yeah. Mm. That, that, that's, that's what I mean about um, Melumbi and Sanders. Um, because, you know, you look at our bench and the fact that we've just uh, um, signed Welbeck um, and, you know, his Criado's coming back, you'll get Jahan Batch back soon. Um, you know, our, our squad's looking really quite strong now, isn't it? Um, really, yeah. really. Uh, I know they had Elzati on the week bench at the weekend, but I found it weird before lockdown that they didn't have Malumbi on the bench. Everton, he wasn't on the bench, I don't think, was he? Mm-hmm. He was yeah. against me and you, from memory, but he wasn't against Everton. Or, um, But yeah, I found that a bit odd when considering he must, you know, proper proper was obviously not available. And yeah, he come back as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I mean, that was that. Was that. In terms of the equaliser, Andy B, what, what do you make of that? Um, Decent. Um, as you say, he took it early, didn't he? It's what we needed when we needed it because we ran the risk, much as we're annoyed not to win the game, we ran the risk of getting nothing from it. And ultimately, he was the man that stepped up coming off the bench um, as a sub on 78 minutes for Lalana. Um, he got a vital point for us in the end, didn't he? There? Um, are you yeah. impressed with him so far? Well, I mean, he, I, I mean, I was pleased for the for the lad. I mean, it, you know, it's obviously his first game on the Premiership. He's um, he's done okay in the. Um, 
the Carabao Cup. I still want to call it the League Cup, if I'm being honest. But um, I, 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 th- I mean, I think it was a good ball through to him. And I think he just didn't think about it. He just whacked it. You know, I mean, obviously, with great technique, didn't overthink it. And it, funny enough, it's in the back of the net. Um, you know, and, he, and I still remember the one um, where he helped with the, the goal um, just after lockdown against Arsenal. I mean, that was another quality touch, obviously, last season. So, I mean, I think there's a lot more to see from him. He's still young. He's, you know, he's still settling in probably to a, another, a different kind of culture in the country. But um, I'm hopeful that we're going to see more from him. And he is somebody, I think, who, who uh, you know, has a decent shot on him from, from outside the box. Yeah, of course, so, it's not his first goal of the season. He headed one end in, in the League Cup, didn't he, as well? Well, no, he's, yeah. got, he's, got, he's got two in the League Cup. And um, he looked very impressive in those League Cup games, actually. Um, lots and lots of, um, I mean, he's got great vision and a great touch, so he he, he can, can play some great balls. Um, I suppose the only thing that I'll say about his Premier League performances um, is I've never been that impressed with him when he started. Um, he's, he's put in some really good performances, but they tend to be when he's coming off the bench. Um, but I, I do agree with Andy. He's, he's a good option to have... Um, coming off the bench or, or whatever, if if you think that you're going to need to take quite a few shots from outside the area, um, which hmm. we may well need to do, given our um, uh, uh, reluctance to shoot um, hmm. of so many of our starting eleven. We've yeah. got a bit of depth in attacking midfield now because we've got obviously, we, you know, obviously Lalana started the other day. Um, it's more, it's, you know, although he can play deeper, he's more an attacking midfielder. And then we had Grosh and uh, McAllister come off the bench. I mean, that's actually, you know, quite a lot of quality in that area. Yeah, Gr- Grosh looked really good in that role, I thought. Um, you know, it's a kind of quarterback type role, which really shows off his passing. Um, yeah. As long as we can cover for his lack of pace, he's, he should, you know, it's actually quite an interesting role for him. Yeah. I mean, I still, I still think he's our best free kick and corner taker you know his delivery is is by far the best in the team it is although McAllister isn't far behind I'd say yeah I think that's why he was brought on on Sunday I know it's quite late on but I think that's why he was brought on because we were probably beginning to think well our set piece might be our best chance of you know a deflection or something like that from a good delivery might have been our best chance of nicking something yeah 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 I agree and I I do think McAllister's going to be the man to take that crown eventually I mean the fact that he, he can put in good set pieces if he can take shots early when they come to him if he can head the ball in, if that's what the opportunity is, um, that gives him a lot of qualities or gives the club, uh, the team a lot of qualities that we need. I think that's a bonus going forwards. And I've, I've been a big advocate of his. Um, I was pleased when we signed him. I followed a little bit of what he's been doing abroad and I think he's a cracking player. So we'll see if he can step on. Um, just to conclude on the Palace side of things, um, Looking at um, much as we've been frustrated with the recent results, they took four points off of us, but we probably should have won both games last season. And they've drawn with us when they've been pretty poor this year. Ultimately, there is a positive side to it. They've um, only won one of, it's definitely five, possibly six of the last uh, games. Um, so at least there's something there. <laughs> um, something to cheer us up a little bit. Um, particularly for Andy, living, Andy B living in, uh, in enemy territory. <laughs> You've got to have those bragging rights, haven't you? Um, in fact, we had when we had uh, the home game with Palace last season, um, pre-match, I did a podcast. We had Graham on, mate of mine, who also lives behind enemy lines. He lives in Thornton Heath. 
which is really pushing it some. Mm. Uh, but there we go. Um, anyway, moving on to other matters, uh, the Premier League, the rest of the games, I wanted to have a quick word about that. I mean, I presume you guys caught most of the action from the weekend. Um, highlights and lowlights. I mean, first of all, we got, I think while we're moaning about referees, let's get into that one first. Merseyside derby. Oh, my word. What, what the hell? I mean, Pickford, obviously, fair enough, it's not a penalty because it's an offside, albeit marginal, fine. Don't have a problem with that. But how the, the hell was that? Card. Yeah, it's a red card. It's simple as that. There is no debate. It's not even a debate, is it? Yeah, it's, um, it's bizarre. Ironically, Liverpool are going to suffer from the same thing as City. They don't buy a full centre-half and lose their centre, lose their basically their best centre-half in like the, mm. like one of the first few games of the season. Exactly like City did last year. Well, Jamie Carragher made a really interesting point. He said um, Everton were champions. They lost Neville Southall and missed the title the following year. He said that Liverpool had the same situation with Hansen. He said that um, Man City obviously had it with Laporte last season. I think he mentioned someone at Arsenal as well one season. And um, I can't remember the other one. Then there, there was about four or five he listed where the, one of the key players was missing for from the championship team championship winning team the following season and they subsequently relinquished the title. It is also very hard to win the title when you've just won it. We should say that too. And they, did, I, they were very lucky with injuries last year. I know they missed Allison for a little bit, but generally yeah, extremely fortunate. Yeah. And now to have both Allison and Van Dijk, the very two people who are widely regarded as the ones that have made the difference in getting on that title. From top four contenders to Premier League winners and European winners. I mean that's quite yeah. Yeah, I mean, my prediction pre-season, uh, open to potential review, was Liverpool to beat City to the title again this year. That is under serious uh, re- review at the moment, shall we say, because I think it's a massive blow to them. Yeah, I think it's the most open title race in years because there's so many random results at the moment. Now, it might then sort itself out in a month or so. and then Yeah, I, I think it will. Um, uh, but at, at the moment, it's very, very hard to read. Uh, because to defend. There, there I was um, on... Sunday listening to a little bit of the Tottenham game on the radio and somebody was saying that they've got to be considered to be title contenders and then they can see three goals and their front the three three options are incredible. They just don't have a good defense. It's the yeah, you know, I mean, Son and Kane right at the moment. They they're really on fire and Kane's assist rate is this weird anomaly that suddenly reared its head into the equation as well. That, but, yeah. for the Sun's first goal was, for the Sun goal from Kane was ridiculous. Yeah, that was... That's right. But relinquishing three goal leads, champions just don't tend to do that. Mm. However, if it's that open, who knows? Well, Champions don't tend to lose 7-2 away to Villa, do they either? Uh, or 5-2 um, at home to Leicester. <laughs> do, people think that, um, do people think that Everton are going to be still up there at the end of the season? Probably the not. I don't well, think Pickford in goal and Keane at centre half can anywhere near to win the title. I mean, let, let me say something that will depress um, the three of you uh, <laughs> and um, your listener as well. Um, uh, <laughs> I we were really hoping that Palace, Villa, and Leeds would be going down. There's no way that Villa and Leeds are going down. I, I mean, Villa's signings have been exemplary. Yeah, they've they've um, done well, and it, it kind of yeah. highlights the fact. Um, that they did have a few decent players in there, um, but that you know there, there are four signings that really have enhanced their team. Um, but um, Douglas Louise was looking good last season. McGinn is a good player. He's um, he missed a lot of last season with injury. Uh, didn't he? That was a big miss for them. Yeah. And 
Grealish has probably been the best player in the Premier League this season. You know, as much yeah. as it pains me, I, I've almost warmed to him just a little bit. <laughs> Barkley looks like he could be one of the signs of the season, though. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that was a good move. Goalkeeper as well, and and Watkins. I've read that Villa have conceded two goals all season, and all but all but I think seventeen of the twenty teams have conceded three or more in a game, <laughs> and Villa have conceded two in four games. Yeah, and um, I, I yeah. agree. With you. I think I think they're um, both of those sides will be safe. Unfortunately, uh, Leeds well, less strong, but still just still in terms of Leeds. Um, from what I've seen of them, they they are just like a breath of fresh air. Um, mm. It's it's just such a thrilling system that, that they play, and it's just so intense, and it's just you know back and forth football. Actually, um, while we've been talking, I've been watching the Man United PSG game, um, which has been end to end really really exciting as well. But uh, the Leeds game to a like that, um, but. Uh, they have this system, um, and I was watching them last night. Apparently, Calvin Phillips, who um, got his first own goal with his man bun last night, um, <laughs> uh, he's he's now out for six weeks. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they survive without him because he's yeah. a, a key part of that system. Yeah, I think he's their best player. Um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I think the issues with Leeds, if there are any, are potential blowout and I know we've said they've lasted the championship and that's pretty hard going but the Premier League is a certain type of intensity well, well they didn't the other thing is injury they, they lost the full squad if they get injuries and in more mm. numbers than the Phillips thing that's, they didn't last problem. the championship they blew up in the first season and in the second season they had a, a, a two-month break so yeah that did help them didn't it exactly yeah. the point where they, where they had to blow out the first season so actually they didn't last the championship they've been yet to be proven to last the full season in normal terms Peter's willing it to happen, Andy. <laughs> there are eight less games in the Premier League, of course, as well, which does chat turn it around a bit. Yeah, and you um, don't need it that much. You have to just get the forty points, and then you'll be fine. So, in terms of their signings, um, you know, commentators are, are saying that they've made some de- decent signings as well. Yeah. I, I'm just not sure on that, um, I, just because I I don't know the players that they've signed. I haven't really tracked them or anything along those lines, um, uh, but. Kind of, who knows? We'll, we'll see on that. And obviously, um, Bielsa's system will take a while to get used to and, and to get those kind of fitness levels um, required to play. The other side is that there are teams who we didn't necessarily think like, I mean, I thought Sheffield United wouldn't do as well as last year, but obviously they started appallingly. Yeah. And they should have say that. There's sort well. of a similarities to Leeds in some ways in terms of they've come in. Breath of fresh air, different style, maybe not the same style, but a different style to what we've been used to and did really well. And Leeds might well do what Sheffield United did over the course of the season. But yeah, Sheffield United, second season syndrome or what? I know they're missing O'Connell and whatever, but they've had a terrible... Is it one point for five games or something? Yeah. I mean, yeah, Burnley too. Hmm. Yeah, Burnley. Um, I mean, I think they're the likely candidate. I mean, I think they're... I think the thing is, though, with Sheffield United, I mean, they didn't have a lot of goals in them last season. Did no, they? you're right. But they were really good at, like, shutting... I mean, when we played them at our at our ground, I mean, we we didn't get anywhere near them. We couldn't lay a punch on them all game. I so, I, I think that, you know, if their goals dry up then they or they start to concede a few, sorry, then, um, then you know, they were going to be in trouble. I just yeah. think the problem with Burnley is they just haven't... They've not invested enough money in that team. I'd feel quite um, depressed if I was that manager. Quite but they've only got Stevens and a and a backup keeper, I think, this this summer. 
Yeah. And then Hendrick, who is a good player, and a few other like you know squad players as well. I think on a cascading scale, we suspected that Sheffield United and Burnley might struggle more than before. I think a couple of us called it as possibly Burnley relegation candidates. Along with West Brom and Fulham, everyone's been thinking are likely to go down. All those teams are down the bottom already, and that doesn't bode well for them, does it? Um, particularly as they've played some six-pointer type games already as well. There are real issues, I'd say, for Sheffield United in terms of their system, because A, obviously they've, they've got, they must have a lot of patience with Wilder because of what he's done. But A, that means they can't really do the kind of turn it around, try and get someone new in. B, how did someone come in and play that same tactics? And the issue they were always going to have was teams would work out their, their, uh, what their system after a while. They yeah. will always. So you then have to buy better players, but the better players then have to fit in the system, which is a more mm. unusual system it's themselves. So it's, it's a bit of a difficult one, really. It's kind of like, it, it obviously took everyone by surprise last season, but teams, yeah, played them twice now, mostly they've worked it out. It's well, not they, the... they, they spent a lot of money on a couple of players. I mean, Berg was what thirty million, was he? Something like that. Yeah, um, he, he was. He was nearly thirty million, and um, Russell's mate ran Brewster. Brewster. Yeah. yeah, he's he's gone and for a couple. I, to be honest, I'd rather have Welbeck on the deal that we've got than Brewster. Actually, um, yeah. on the deal that that they've got because there's a buyback clause in there, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and it's two different gambles, isn't it? One is a matter of in, of injuries. The other one's a matter of inexperience um, and un, untapped uh, potential. But, yeah, it, well, I, I think Sheffield United might be in, in some trouble there. We'll, we'll see. I definitely think the others are. Um, in terms of just some other bits from the, uh, for the weekend, post-injury, Klopp on Virgil van Dijk, this amused me. He said, we are there for him. He knows that and we walk. And we will wait for him like a good wife is waiting when the husband is in jail. It's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. You've got to love Klopp, haven't you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's been watching too many films in lockdown, hasn't he, I think? <laughs> You've got, got to love the guy, yeah. Oh, dear. Um, one guy, it was actually on today's um, Sky Sports News, Rob Green, the goalie, um, his analysis of the goalkeeping for the weekend was exceptional. I think he's absolutely brilliant as a pundit. I've not, I think he's been punditing before, but I've not really paid attention to him. Um, but I thought he was really, really interesting, the way he described the techniques, the approach, how people would stand, and the visibility, the sight lines. I won't go into the details, mainly because I can't remember them now, but he was talking about the various different reasons why, uh, particularly he was talking about Pickford, how he did some really good and really bad things in the same match. At the weekend, um, yeah, I think he's, 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 he's really good. He's very articulate. It's one of the best I've seen in a long time. That one where he mm. almost pulled it back from behind him, it was brilliant. Yeah, he's been he's, on, um, he's been on Radio 5 quite a lot. Mm. Yeah, uh, they, they do well on there, they move them through. I mean, I don't mm. actually get, I don't have Sky in that, so I don't get to see a lot of the, the um stuff on TV. So I'm quite reliant on Radio 5. He's good on there, yeah, yeah, great. I'm looking out for him more. Also, Karen Carney. I don't know if you've, you've seen her. She's been on Match of the Day, Match of the Day 2 a few times, a seasoned England ex-international. Um, she was on the Totally Football Show as well this week, a podcast that I listened to, and she's exceptional as well. Her tactical insight, the explanations of the dynamics, the movement and uh, shaping in games, really good. Um, always worth a go. I'm not going to patronisingly clap her like Patrice Everett did with 
um, with any Luco, but um, <laughs> she's she's brilliant. I think um, really thumbs up. And Alex Scott's not bad, is she? She's pretty decent too. So fair play to yeah, her. I think Khan is the the best of the lot, actually. Mm. She's good, isn't she? Yeah. Um, so big, big them up, definitely. Um, just a quick word on our favourite subjects from uh, last week, pay-per-view and project bullshit. Pay-per-view, um, just one word on that, really. And according to some sources, broadcasters have been trying to claim, contrary to what has been said since, that the Premier League set the prices. Absolute bullshit, apparently, by all, by all accounts from several sources. But the broadcasters are still trying to pin that on the Premier League, which is interesting. Uh, Paul Barber, as we know, has, uh, has come out and said they had absolutely no say whatsoever. It was a matter of, do you want the product or not? That was it. No no question on price. But in fact, Kieran Maguire on Price of Football has pointed out that it's actually against regulatory protocol to for, for them to have had a word uh, in setting the price. They're not actually allowed to. So the broadcasters are duplicitous in the extreme as well as absolute bastards. So just wanted to get that one on there. Um, unless everyone's got any particular comments on that, I'll move on to the other one. Project well, I'll, I'll comment quickly. There's oh, um, the, the Newcastle fans pioneered this, that oh, you yeah. give 15, the 15 quid to a local food bank. And I, I think there's a, a Brighton campaign coming up there. So um, Yeah, that was excellent. Um, the food banks are really going to need some extra resources. Mm. So um, rather than giving that money to broadcasters, um, I think um, that campaign sounds like a good, good one. I understand there might be a way that you can watch the game anyway. <laughs> and I might be doing that myself, we'll see. It certainly won't involve giving money to broadcasters anyway, put it that way. Um, and there's always the radio. Um, as Andy said, you can rely on Radio 5 Live, some excellent coverage. All the pubs, yeah. So Peter's saying he's got a really good pub with some nice craft beers just down the road, which is showing the PPV games yeah. with permission. Is that right? Yeah, apparently. But a guy had told me in the pub I went to that they, they got them for free as part of a deal or something like that. But I've no idea if that's true. That's what I got told. Anyway, the down the pub told you. Right. Hmm? That's like they were like <laughs> fell off the back of a lorry type thing. But... <laughs> right, I'm not naming the pub anyway. So oh, it's... no, no. Did you um, buy a hooky PV while you are there, Peter? No. I'm interested to see how busy it is for Brighton West Brom on Monday. Yeah, I think you might have some room at the bar there, definitely. Um, just moving on to Project Bullshit, I'll just go on to one one more point on that, really, which was uh, um, a lot of conception that EFL have pretty much en masse um, been in favour of the original proposal. Mark Palios was at pains to say otherwise this week in certain podcasts, uh, namely the Totally Football Show, I think. Um, Tranmere, the club that he is now... Um, Chief Exec of, or I think he's chairman actually. Um, he said he's he's against the proposals on several fundamental grounds. He's in a better position than most, obviously, to talk about this, um, being not only an EFL boss but um, having worked for the FA um, and also in finance in the past. Um, so you know, I mean, it's not universal. I think there's a lot of people are not happy with that they're being turned down, but it had to be turned down on the basis that it was a power grab and it was simply not going to work. You can't change the democratic nature or for what it is of the Premier League and of football as it is. It's too too much of a problem. But in terms of what has been done, it's a 20 mil grant and the proposal for 30 mil potential loans, isn't it, is, is what's been offered so far. And that was turned down by the EFL because they need more. Um, well, I mentioned Palios being at the FA in the past. Speaking of which, uh, the all too appropriately acronymed FA, 
um, in its current flimsy format, what the hell do they actually do is the question. And is it time for this, um, for this sort of independent regulatory authority that Palios in that interview had suggested? I mean, I do think so. And I alluded to pretty much as much on last week's show saying about a trust fund that should be established and administered to aid clubs, but only when and how needed directly to the source problem and not to the owners for their own well, discretionary usage. Um, this trust fund could be administered by said regulatory authority. What's your view on that, guys? I mean, first, Andy B, have you got have you got a take on that one? Well, I, don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I, the thing is, I, I suppose um, I've over the last few years, because mainly because of my son, I've got quite involved in the sort of the grassroots football, and I think um, the FA do quite a lot, quite a lot of good there, really. Um, yeah. And in, in terms of like developing coaches and such like. So I think from that point of view, I, I give them a pat on the back. I mean, in terms of the custodians of the game and how they're going to control the bigger clubs. I mean, going way back to when we had our trouble with Archer, they were useless then. I just mm-hmm. don't think they've got they you know they've got any clout anymore, really. I'm not um I wouldn't be overly hopeful. And I think that I mean there was something else to that. I don't know if you guys have picked up on this um proposal from fifa yeah well so clearly there's something something's going to happen isn't there there's i mean um you know listening to even listening to um uh, kieran mcguire in on um you know he he thinks that there's going to be he thinks it's going to be a reduction i think ultimately in the in the premier league numbers and there seems to be this shift towards the european league i mean i know that i'm you know not thinking as a finance just thinking from the point of view as a fan as far as i'm concerned why don't we just let the six of them, you know, the top six just piss off and get on with it? You know, I'd still much rather be playing English teams week in, week out. I think you soon get bored with playing Real Madrid every other week, you know, and, and just leave it at that. But I know it won't work like that because of the money. But um, I agree with you. And I, I realise the money is an issue in that sense. But I, I would be happy to see the top six go off and go their own way. And, yeah, it'd be a very interesting league. You know, teams actually have a chance of winning it. You go into every game with a chance of winning the game as well, probably. You know, it's actually quite an interesting thing. But someone, yeah, yeah. I mean, someone sort of like also um, introduced the idea of whether you might be able to get Celtic and Rangers involved, or one or two of the top, you know, some of the other Scottish clubs as well. They probably want to be in the European Super League, I imagine. They probably do the, the the top two, yeah. But I mean, it'd be quite interesting, wouldn't it, going and playing some games in Scotland? Yeah. And Andy, what, what's your view on it, Andy Kay? And also, because I don't think I heard your view in general since uh, we haven't had you on since uh, the proposal came out. Uh, yeah, because... I, I mean, I've got to be honest, I haven't had the time to follow these things. Um, so, I mean, I, I can give a kind of very, very basic view um, that, I mean, f- football is a wonderful distraction, but it's it's also has certain what you might call ideological effects. Um, And um, what's happened, especially with the Premier League um, since its inception, is it's just driven um, um, an elite, effectively. A series of elites, clubs. uh, um, I mean, the Champions League reinforces this and, and accelerates it as well. Um, The ridiculousness of Mesut Ozil on 350 grand a week, mm. not plan, uh, where yeah, that money could contribute to the survival of so many clubs. I mean, in a sense, it 
it was obvious that it was unsustainable. Um, I, I suspect, especially if there isn't a vaccine um, uh, um, that comes out uh, and that can be uh, reproduced at scale, um, you know, lots of clubs are going to go to the wall unless there is some, uh, um, uh, I suppose, substantial move. But it's not just about clubs, it's about... Um, you know, club venues, for instance. I, I mean, I also like going out to gigs. That sector's in such trouble. Um, and mm. and there, there are various completely viable businesses that um, uh, are looking really, really precarious at the moment. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's not going to be a pleasant time. It's interesting you say about Mr. Mr. Ursula's example, because yeah, I think he's last week, I was saying the other day on the show, He's just got an eight million pound bonus for staying at Arsenal for into the final year of his contract, despite the fact he's not actually doing anything. Um, and yeah, so Macclesfield went out of business for for equivalent of a week and a half of Mesut Özil's wages. That's ridiculous. We are, we've lost one of one of the clubs in the football well, then National League because of a week and a half of one per, one player's wages, and it's just yeah obscene. Yeah. It quickly becomes grotesque, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, there was some. Um, one of the other things that was mentioned about the so, so someone else, um, I don't know who it was now, but said that they reckoned about ninety percent of the EFL clubs actually voted for the um, the proposal, hmm. which probably only left about. Eight. I was thinking at first, well, that's a real lack of ambition. If there's only eight or nine there that think they might want to get into the Premiership, but then it did make me wonder actually just how significant those financial, um, you know, currently the the financial struggle is for a lot of clubs that actually. They're almost willing to write off their chances of getting into the Premiership, staying there, just to survive the here and now. Yeah, it's I mean, their chance of getting in is their chance of actually having staying, a stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A big problem for all sorts of businesses at the moment is is the issue of incumbency. You, you're being punished just for being an incumbent business, um, mm. and uh, um, you know there will be plenty of um, vulture puns that mop everything up and set something new up in the aftermath of this. It's um, Well, you've only got to look at Wigan as an equivalent. I know they've not got out of business, but, you know, the vultures circled around, including us, around their players. Yes. You know, took every series. They lost about 13 players to different clubs or whatever for really cheap prices over this summer. Yeah, Weir looked quite good in in that game. Looks like a silky um, central midfield player. Mm. Got a lot of young central midfielders at the moment. Yes, Teddy Jenkins. Um, well, we're well. talking about that. I, I haven't mentioned. I, I really am excited about these two Polish lads that we've signed. Yeah, um, they seem good, don't they? Um, yeah. Uh, but the idea of having an opposite-sided Lanty. I know he's right-footed, but Karbalnik might actually sound like a pretty exciting option on the left flank. So I know he played left wing back quite a lot. And. Um, Mulder has got height as well as everything else, and he can score from outside the box, but um, I think he sits a, a little bit deeper um, than Canister, for instance. They're getting games both for club and country, aren't they? Which is, which is good. Um, in terms of looking at teams who have gone from the, what was pretty much the oldest Premier League squad, or if not the, not the oldest, pretty close mm. to. So I think we've got the youngest, or maybe not after Sunday, but certainly before Sunday, we had the youngest Starting at average starting age for the um, first four games. Yeah, no, we 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 did do, and Palace had got the oldest. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, just, just to quit, yes, exactly. They're, they're an ageing, creaking squad, aren't they? But um, just a quick word on Loan Watch. I mean, just having a look through quickly, and there's quite a few of our players weren't playing. Matt Clark did play for Derby when they lost 1-0 at home to Watford, for whom Murray was an unused sub. Leo Ostergaard was an unused sub at Coventry. Ryan Longman did play, and he played quite well, I think, against AFC Wimbledon, but they lost. He was subbed on 84 minutes. Warren O'Hora was an unused sub at MK Dons. Murray, we've already mentioned. Tom McGill was an unused sub at Crawley. So quite a few of our players aren't actually getting much game time. started but went off at half-time, I think, as well, didn't he? You're Paris. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've got here as well. Yeah, About 64 minutes, I think it was, or something like that. He was yeah. the first player that went off. Yeah, the only other one was Taylor uh, Taylor Richards, isn't it? At um, Doncaster. I'm just checking that one now. And Roberts and played, obviously. Sorry, Taylor Roberts. Yeah, they've got someone listed yeah, as Taylor. Hayden Richards, but Hayden Roberts Hayden played Roberts. for Rochdale. Sorry, say again? Hayden Roberts played for Rochdale. In, in oh, he did. He's already Berlin. played. Yeah, because, of course, he went on right on the deadline, didn't he? Um, after having signed a new three-year deal for us, I believe, isn't right. it? Which is good. So. It seems like Leeds were, were circling. It's really good news. Yeah, I'm surprised he's gone there if the, uh, the, mega, the mega lift that is Leeds United had... Uh, Showed some interest, but there we go. <laughs> um, final word for me. The, the well, I'm just having a look actually. Rochdale won one nil. Um, Roberts, Roberts played the full 90 minutes, picked up a yellow card. Marvellous. Apparently, looked uh, quite good according to. I was looking at um, North Down Chat earlier, there was some comments from there uh, from about Rochdale fans saying he looked quite good, apparently. Yeah, playing alongside Jim McNulty. The name from Indeed. the Indeed. And that's, of course, yeah. where the aforementioned Robert Sanchez played on loan last season. And Paul um, McLean plays there as well. So they've got a real ex Albion connection. Well, I think we've got so many players now. There's ex Albion and current Albion connections all over the bloody place, isn't there? Um, in terms of the, um, the current lot, the 23s, Andy's mentioned, we got the 1 0 win, didn't we? But we're at Liverpool. And I think we didn't we get a 5 0 win at Arsenal or yeah, something. In the under 18s. Yeah. yeah, which is brilliant news. Peter, I think you wanted to say something about the women's game because we, we've got a brilliant 0 nil at Man City. On Sunday, we've got an excellent 2-2 draw away at Everton, who had a 100% record, I think, until then. Yeah. Um, but there was a bit more to it than that, wasn't there? Yeah, and I can't remember her name, which is really bad, but there was one of our one of the Alb- Albion players was... Uh, O'Sullivan, maybe? Mm-hmm. O'Sullivan? One of, one of the, anyway, one of the Albion players was given a second yellow, apparently, and then not sent off, which was... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not great refereeing, should we say. <laughs> All the luck goes with the ladies' team. Damn it. We, we need it in the men's team as well, you know. Uh, but there we have it. So I think on that note, that brings things to a close for now, except to mention West Brom is the next match, um, coming up not until Monday night, um, so nearly a whole week from when we're speaking. Monday 5.30 thriller, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I say Monday night because the cops have got back. It's the graveyard slot. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. And it's pay-per-view. What's not to like, eh? Um, yeah, I say Monday night because it'll be dark already by 5.30 with the clocks going back this weekend. Um, what do you reckon, guys? I mean, for me... It, it's one of those games that we really ought to be winning, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it is loath to say the expression, but it, it is a must-win on the basis that we need to start winning games somewhere. And if we're not going to win this game off the back of what we haven't done so far... It isn't a must-win game. I know. Well, um, I think it, for me, it's one of those that, you know, if, unless we're going to be in the bottom eight again at the end of the season, these are the kind of games we're going to have to win. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, 
we're going to be looking over our shoulder thinking like, are there three or four teams worse than us at the end of the season? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I know they only drew yesterday, is it? But home to drew nil nil with Burnley. Burnley, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Over the weekend, they um, added a thriller. They have got some quite lively attackers. They've got Pereira and Diagana, and they've just mm. signed Callian Grant from um, Huddersfield as well. So they they mm. have got players who could do well going forwards. Mm. Um, so we need to be careful. So it's Everton. They were. Until they lost, a, until they went down to ten men, they looked really good, and even then they still scored a couple of goals. So I mean, you know, it, it's one I agree we really need to win to try and, you know, otherwise it's been really quite a bad start results wise. Um, but yeah, we can't take them lightly, and I'm sure we won't. But no, I think it's one where I think we do get the win in this game. Um, I do agree, we've got to be careful, but I do think we get the win. Yeah, Sorry, you usually do. I know. Yes, I know. I do. 3-1 the Palace game, I thought. Well, it should have been something like that. Um, in this game, I think it could be a 2-0 game. I think it might be something like that, where we actually keep a clean sheet and we get the job done. It could be a 4-1, something like along those lines as well, if things really open up. But I'm, I'm going to go for 2-0 in this one. Um, I don't know if you guys wanted to make any predictions on it. Andy B? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm going to go 2-1. I, I just can't see us keeping a clean sheet at the moment, but I think we're going to win 2-1. Uh, Peter? I was going to go 2-1 Albion, but in the interest of um, not copying Andy, I'm going to go for 3-1 Albion. Ooh. And are we doing one Mr Knott as well? Dr Knott? Um, as, as you insist, I'll go for 35-7. <laughs> A classic Premier League 2021 <laughs> season result. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be close to the pin, actually, the way things are going. <laughs> we'll have to wait until Monday for that one. In the meantime, thank you very much to Andy Bravery for joining us for the first time. I hope you've enjoyed it, sir. How's it been? a great time. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you to you. Thank you to your wallpaper as well. Um, thank you again to Dr. Knott. Um, it's always good to see you, sir. Um, to Peter and Peter's cat briefly at one point earlier. We said we weren't going to mention cats, so they popped in screen, and I've just done it. Whoops. And, um, and I've been Russell Guyver, and I probably still will be for some time, hopefully. Um, so thank you very much, guys. Thanks for joining us. And we'll be back for the next one when we review that. that what, what score was it, Andy? 37-6, was it? 35-7, I think I said. 35-7 uh, victory. So we'll, we'll have you back for the match review of that one. We're all seven set pieces. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, until then, seven, stand or four, penalty. boys. Ryan goes, <laughs> Ryan goes the wrong way each time. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, guys, up the Albion, stand or fall. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.